Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Ride the Wild Plains, written by Nelson Nye. An unforgettable novel of an innocent man forced to ride the wild plains for his life. It wasn't a journey that anyone would make willingly, but Dale Maffitt had little choice. Wanted for hanging on a trumped-up charge of horse-stealing, trailed by a relentless posse, Maffitt's only hope lay in Mexico. To live, he must ride fast and hard over the scorching Texas plains and beat the posse to the border. Once across, he would be safe from arrest, and the posse would have to turn back. So Dale Maffitt begins a grueling race across one of the most merciless, drought-stricken patches of hell in the USA, Texas Barrens, trying to stay one step ahead of the posse. Every mile of the way was a battle with pitiless heat, hunger, thirst, perilous storms, and often the posse itself. What he did not know was that if at last he made it to Mexico, it would be only to discover true hell had always waited ahead of him, and not behind. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Ride the Wild Plains. Chapter 1 Afternoon sun struck the dusty streets and walls of Naco with a dazzle that made the eyeballs burn. A casual glance might have found little to choose between closer surroundings and the baked, dun surfaces that shimmered and swam beyond the protection of the stars and stripes that showed limp as a dish rag above the red-brown shape of the U.S. Customs. Dale Maffitt had run out of casual glances. He didn't lack where he was, but the land of the Dons held no attraction at all. There was no wind, only the scorched smell of heat and the pitiless glare that fried the eyes and exposed every crevice and hoof-pock and wheel-rut. A thirst was in his throat, a terrible craving for tobacco he dared not smoke. He could feel the ache of this all through his long body and the itch of sweat and cramp from standing so great a while without movement. These shadow patches, like so many things lately, were deceitful. Liars and cheats, with their blue look of coolness, which could melt a man down like hog fat in a skillet. Maffet's miseries brought vividly into his head the smooth and cultured features of Cecil Breeding, his dead father's former partner, and the sly ease with which the man had baited this trap. The whole deal had been a trap, as Dale saw it now. Behind Breeding's glib talk of the early grave Maffet Sr. had drunk himself into, and the parade of debts which had wiped out Maffet's inheritance, had been a well-concealed worry, or the prod of greed. Perhaps both. He had wanted to do something, breeding implied, which might take some of the fire out of the collapse of Maffet's prospects. There was no stake for him at Bridal Bit, but there was this horse which breeding wanted. Belonged to some Mexican south of the border, some government official. Olivares, he believed the name was. Breeding would pay 3000 for the horse. If Maffet could acquire the stallion cheaper, he would have himself a stake. Prior to Breeding's offer, Maffet had been three years away from the ranch, 
knocking about in odd corners of the land, piling up an unsavory reputation as a brawler, forever in one scrape or another. This hadn't been touched on during their talk, but with the clarity of hindsight, Maffet realized now it had been in Breeding's mind. He could see a lot of things now he should have thought about sooner. He had checked into his father's death. Drink had done for him, no doubt about that. He was known to have borrowed from every business in town, putting up pieces of the ranch for security. There'd been nothing wrong with Breeding buying these back, nothing off-color anywhere so far as Dale could discover, except that Maffet Sr. had gone on the wagon years ago and been down on drink as only a reformed drinker could be. Dale had taken Breeding's offer, saying he would see what he could do about the horse. Against his better judgment, he'd reluctantly allowed Breeding to advance him a thousand dollars. This was more money than Maffet had ever before got his hooks on. You'll have expenses, the rancher said, brushing aside Maffet's protests. He was wrong about that. Maffet had lived off the land. After a great deal of haggling, he had got the horse for Breeding's cash advance, and, armed with a bill of sale, had started back. Five days ago, that had been. He'd learned a few things about Olivares since. Two days after setting out with the stallion, he'd discovered dust on his back trail. A dark hunch had taken him away from the road and sent him burrowing into the hills, where his guess was vindicated. He'd crossed a river and got into the mountains, riding by night and playing possum while the sun shone. This had kept him alive despite some tense moments, but it had not improved the state of his temper or done very much toward ensuring his future. Olivares had got his thousand dollars, and these days in the hills had made it amply evident he meant to have the horse as well. They had shot Maffet's own mount yesterday. Afligido was a horse with two stones and much willpower. He also had bottom and an amazing early speed. He could hit full stride in two jumps and carry it into a half mile if he had to. He had a lot of steel dust blood in his veins and the temper that went with it. Yet you could stake him to a hairpin once he gave you his allegiance. Maffet had suspected almost as soon as he'd set out with the horse, this thousand-dollar deal packed a joker in it somewhere. It was why he'd got off that road so damn fast. It was one of the reasons he was still on his feet. Between narrowed lids, his hard glance swept again the weathered backs of these buildings, liking them no better. Moving on with a singular bitterness to study once more the plastered, and unplastered portions of walls, waveringly visible through the distorted air, farther south where the Mexican end of the twin town's main drag faded out against the bright slope of the mountain. Very soon now, both towns, and certainly Naco, USA, would begin to yawn and stretch and scratch their way back into tasks laid aside during these hours of midday siesta badly as he disliked making any move which might fetch Olivares's hired assassins out into the open, he knew he could not stay here much longer. Above him, the cottonwood leaves stirred up and fractionally trembled in a tiny breath of air, 
forerunner of the mid-afternoon wind that, like the strike of a prodded snake, would come winging up out of the land of tomorrow, flapping loose boards and loose pieces of tin while it buried this place in a fog of brown dust. He couldn't wait for that time. He must be lost in advance of it. A less knowledgeable man might long since have tried some of these back doors, which loom so invitingly, but Maffet wasn't fooled. Eyes were watching. They knew approximately where he was. Only for that one brief interval of perhaps a handful of minutes had he eluded them completely, since crossing the border illegally in the last tattered dregs of the dark before dawn. Long enough to dispose of Afligido, but not enough by considerable to take him out of their reach. This was all open country. They had him boxed, and they knew it. Content to wait, even as he was, for the town to shake off at least a portion of its quiet before moving into the final stages of this matter. Across the line, east of the garrison flag and bell tower, a man shouldered up out of a clutter of discarded packing crates and leisurely brushed himself off, glancing with a flash of teeth towards Maffet's cottonwood. One hand dipped and rose with the buff shape of a straw sombrero, which he clapped on his head with a mocking flourish. Casas. Even from here, Maffet could see the scarlet chin shine of Oliveris' Indian cavalry. Maffet watched the man turn and move off towards the street. No illegal crossing for Casas. He'd come openly through customs, empty-handed and smiling as befitted a man who was sure of his ground, filled with frijoles and confidence, the right hand of His Excellency General Domatilio Olivares, Provisional Governor of Sonora. A trumpet call came silvery mellow through the leaves, and Maffet thought, even their goddamn bugles sound different. Lazy like a love song, as though to the man at the mouthpiece, time was of no significance. It was probably true. Time was a curse of the gringo, and it was already past time to be gone from here. He had not availed himself of this row of back doors because he had not wanted to call attention to these buildings. They were important to him being close to the horse he had hidden right under their noses. Casas wouldn't have to bring any help with him. The man was efficient. For a handful of dollars, he could hire all the bravos he would need for this business, men who were already over here. There'd been a face behind that rain barrel half an hour ago, another farther down. He suspected there were more in the mesquite brush behind him, it wouldn't hide a horse, but there was plenty of cover for men on their bellies. And Casas's move would be the signal. They'd be closing in now. No change came over Maffet's solid cheeks, not even when another face fractionally showed, down towards the end of the backs of these buildings. And the ranch, bridle bit, was 300 miles away. No air now, only the glare and the heat and somewhere a door slammed like the crack of a gun. This pulled a tough smile across Maffet's long lips. They wouldn't be using guns, not on this side. A knife or a rock would be just as effective. He had considered this carefully. 
All he needed right now was a fistful of seconds out of the reach of their sight. Any of these narrow, shadowy slots between buildings would serve if he moved fast enough. He had to get on to the street and, if possible, across it. Give him that, and they could hunt all they wanted. It wasn't his life Maffet worried about losing, but the horse. He rubbed his numb legs, working the knots out of his muscles. This had to be timed right, so that Casas would be engaged with customs. He didn't want Casas's eyes pointing him out to them. Now the old streaky feeling ran its pulse of excitement through Maffet. He didn't tip them off by looking around. With a deep, in-pulled breath, he ran for the alley directly in front of him. A shout went up. Something sailed past his shoulder. Brush broke behind him. Then he was into the passage, sprinting with every last ounce of drive in him. They had farther to go, and they hadn't his incentive. The alley was clogged with a miscellany of trash, but Maffet got through, ducking around the near corner of the building to the right of him, pulling up, breath whistling, for a glittering look in both directions. There were a lot of wood and tin awnings jutting out from his side, but the street was empty. No sign of Casas or the men at customs. Evidently that shout had hauled them back out of sight. Relief roared through Maffet. He was whirling forward for his dash across the street when a man bulged onto the planks three doors below. Maffet had no choice. There was a rock in the man's lifting fist. His mouth was springing into the start of a yell when Maffet threw down on him, firing from the hip. The man was knocked off his feet in a crumpling fall. The report fell off the fronts of the buildings, swelling the clamor surging out of the alleys. No time to cross now. Maffet's glance found a balcony four feet above him and he jumped, catching hold of the projecting floorboards. Swinging desperately, he heaved himself up, hearing a sudden clatter on the planks below. Scrambling frantically, he got over the low railing, dropping motionless beneath a window as a racket of boots spilled into the street. Mouth wide, fighting the sawing pull of his breath, Maffet heard startled curses, a yell. Boot sound and spur scrape came up off the walk and a wary calling back and forth as the pursuit milled around. It seemed impossible they could not hear the heavy pounding of his heart. He was afraid to move so much as a finger, lest this shaky appendage give news of his whereabouts or someone farther out or farther up or down the street catch sight of him. They were scattering now, fanning out to comb the roundabout hide holes. By the sounds, there were six or seven of them. He was a little astonished the shot hadn't fetched some kind of law into this. He didn't hear Casas's voice, nor was he like to, not with that mozo sprawled on the walk. Casas might be grinding his teeth, but he would stay well away from this. But he would trump up some business that would keep him in touch, and somebody pretty soon would be passing along his orders. There were a number of warehouses on the side Maffet had tried for, and a couple of stores not yet open to trade. These buildings on Maffet's side, at least in this block, were mostly given over to offices and small flats. At the north end were what appeared to be several private homes, nothing very substantial. People of means lived on roads farther out. They must know he couldn't have got far. These fellows weren't thinkers, 
or they'd have had him already. The fools weren't even searching this building. But they would when Cassus's orders got hold of them. There was nothing slow or muddled about the way Cassus used his think box. He'd come almighty close to nailing Maffet south of the line. Maffet had got his tail in a crack. He wasn't kidding himself. He was in a bad bind. He couldn't afford to move, and he could afford even less to remain where he was. Sooner or later, someone down there would spot him. An intense disquiet kept picking at him. It had started with that clatter right after he'd quit the walk. That yell had been a discovery, and now Maffet realized grimly what they'd found. He'd dropped his pistol in that swing to this perch. Slowly, very carefully, he twisted his head. The lower half of the window behind him was open. From what little he could see, the room looked to be lived in. There were tied-back drapes behind a mesh of lace curtains. He could see the brass of a bedpost. If there was anyone in there, they must know he was out here. Blobs of sweat trickled down his nose and ran off his chin. If there'd been anyone in there, he'd have known it long since. But he was wrong about that. When you leave, a voice said, perhaps you'd better use the stairs. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Ride the Wild Plains. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.